Wait a second. Is this is this the last podcast of the decade? The last of the decade? Oh my gosh. That's the last of the year. The last of the decade. Last of the year. They better be a good one. Is it a good one? Come on now. Sing along. I know you know the words. Let's do it. Let's sing a song about how we're all the same. How we all like snacks and cuddles. We all like playing games. We all like to be hugged and locked up in our beds at night. Call a small boy or girl. And welcome to Barn Banter with Cowboy Andy, a podcast for children's musicians by a children's musician. I say that every single time. It's kind of fun. It's like <laughs> between that and the theme song, I'm sure everyone's getting really tired of, of my interest, but it's consistent, <laughs> so we'll stick to it. Today is a really uh, interesting conversation. Another word that I overuse too much, interesting, but this one is interesting because it is with someone who helps produce a convention, an event specifically for children's music, which is, or, or children's musicians, which I find to be uh, unique and wonderful. And I've never been to it, but I plan on going this year. So I'm super curious as to what the deal is. Please, everybody, put your headphones together, as if that was possible, to welcome Robert Drake to the barn. Hey, Robert, how are you? Hello, hello. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Where are you physically right now? I am physically in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania at the WXPN-FM Studios, which is a public radio station in Philadelphia. It's an NPR affiliate, and it's also home to Kids Corner, which is a show that I've produced for 32 years since January of 1988. Kathy O'Connell is the host, and the two of us have been doing this kids' radio show since then. And uh, it's also the home to KindyCom, which is the gathering that you're speaking about. Okay, cool. So we're gonna I'm gonna we're gonna go back just a little bit. What does it mean to be a producer of a radio show? What's your job? What do you do? Well, I always tell people Kathy's job is to be behind the mic when we go live at seven PM weeknights and to fill that hour with conversation and dialogue. And everything else is my job. Mm. <laughs> so so my job is um you know, making sure the content is there, the guest, making sure that our engineer is in place, making sure that all the marketing and uh, and social media is done ahead of time. Also, the archiving issues, uh, lining up some new segments for online and on the web, things like that. So it's a, it's a multifaceted job for as, as a producer, but it's a team of two. It's just Kathy and myself, and that's the way it's been since uh, 1988. So... Let me see if I get this straight, because I've clearly identified a need that I didn't know I really had. So basically, Kathy gets uh, puts on the headphones, and she sits down in the chair, or maybe she does it standing up, I, I don't know, with a microphone, <laughs> and gets to entertain and talk and become the celebrity, and you're in the background basically like sweating, <laughs> gathering music, doing all the grunt work, doing all the marketing, making sure. Do you have to like bring her coffee and like dab her forehead? No, too thankfully, oh, after working 32 years, she can get her own coffee. But, um, <laughs> no, I think I think I always tell people it's like, you know, I'm sort of the man behind the curtain, you know, as the Wizard of Oz. You're just sort of ignoring me. I'm just pushing all the buttons and making sure things happen. And Kathy's job is to be the not only the uh, voice and the face of the show, but you know, people 
when they think of Kids Corner, think of Kathy O'Connell, and that's the way it should be. Uh huh. Oh well, that's okay. So that's really cool. So I need to get I need to get a one of you for my podcast. Clearly, and <laughs> so all right. So you've been doing this since uh, you said what? Well, the Kids Corner since '88. Is that yeah? Is that true? Oh, that's awesome. What a great run. Yeah. So so this is our 32nd year that we're entering, and um, it's interesting because when Kids Corner began in January of '88, I always look back on that era and think to myself, um, it there there was a lot to be said because there's Kids Corner, which is sort of this um, kid first very forward-thinking kind of innovative radio program of its time. And at the exact same time, public broadcasting debuted the monolith known as Barney the Dinosaur the mm -hmm. same year. Mm -hmm. So you had Barney the Dinosaur, which was pretty much the antithesis of what Kids Corner is all about. Mm -hmm. And then you had Kids Corner happen. And of course, the other thing that happened, the trifecta for 1988, was that was the year that Bart Simpson made it, his debut. So mm -hmm. three three completely different elements in, in programming for kids happened in 88. And thankfully, Kids Corner and The Simpsons are still aggressively active, and Barney's still out there. But I have a feeling it's not nearly as uh, as powerful as it once was for him. I think he's morphed into, kind of went into a cocoon and just sort of uh, got recycled into different iterations of, yeah, of that I think sort a lot, of philosophy. I, I think there's a lot of other uh, television programming that has popped up over the past couple of decades targeting that young market Um where there's not a need for what Barney offered back in '88, so he's definitely not—he's definitely not a powerful dinosaur as he once was. <laughs> I suddenly had this picture of Barney you know, storming through. You know, That's right, Cleveland. Yeah, it'd be great. Oh man, that's a nightmare and a half. Uh, so the kids' corner is—it's in the lexicon of children's. Uh, programming mm -hmm. definitely one of the one of the pillars i mean it's the thing to to refer to when i i uh, started children's music for myself about nine years ago put the, put the band together started releasing albums and things like that and as i got into the genre and researched it kathy o'connell's name was one of the first names along with like jeffrey cohen and some other influencers who who came up in searches right away as far as relevant timely actively engaged and as I said, like an influencer, somebody who's out there, not just doing what they do, but putting themselves out as an advocate for children's musicians and uh, and performers for for family and and children's music. Part of that was the Kindycom thing, which right. I, I had a friend here, uh, Casey Schaefer from the Whiz Pops. Who when I when I put my band together, he was doing children's music too, and he's like, "Oh man, you got to do this thing. You got to go there. It's so cool." And he couldn't really specifically say what the big value was, other than it was like just a awesome thing. Actually, he could say some of this very specific things, but I want you to maybe walk us through the process of what is Kindycom specifically. Well, Kindycom first and foremost, is a phoenix from the ashes of an event called Kindy Fest, which was an organization that was um, driven by a handful of people in the, in the Kindy community uh, out of New York City. And it was a annual gathering of Kindy musicians and people within the industry. And it was growing each year, uh, more and more successful. 
then in its final year, which was 20, I think it was 2014, they decided, the four people who were in charge decided that each one is to try something different in their worlds. So they decided to close up Kindy Fest and go to their next chapter. Kathy and I, seeing the success of what Kindy Fest was doing, mostly because it was finally unifying all these independent kid musicians, you know, these kindy artists from around the country who until then were relying strictly on social media to network. It was giving them an opportunity to be um, face-to-face with each other and to learn from each other. We thought it was important for us to sit down and kind of find a way to make this continue. So that was the birth of KindyCom, which is basically um, an offshoot of another event that WXPM produces, which is called NonCom. And NonCom is a non-commercial radio um, event that happens every spring here at WXPN, where all these people from non-commercial music stations around the country come to Philadelphia to celebrate the music that we play, the AAA genre, the adult acoustic alternative sounds that we play. So every year for the past 20-some years, WXPN has produced non-com for this non-commercial music entity. So it just seemed obvious, like we already have the template in place. We already know how to do this. Let's just do something a little bit more concise, strictly for the kids' music market. And that's where KindyCom comes from. When you made that that shift, were there any other national events going on besides the Kindy Fest uh, at the time? Not really. Kindy Fest was uh, an island in uh, a very uncharted water, and it was very important for us to uh, to. That's one of the main reasons why we decided it was important to, to do KindyCon was because we couldn't imagine casting all these kindy artists from around the country back out into the open waters to fend for themselves. We thought that it was important to have some sort of gathering continue. The main difference between KindyCom and Kindy Fest is that KindyCom is really driven as a peer networking, um, social engagement kind of event. Um, it's all about the music for KindyCom. We're really designed to help the artists in growth and um, establish them to network with each other so they can continue to make more connections when it comes to cross-country performances. So it's really a mus- it's a musician-driven gathering. Um, Kindy Fest had people from you know talent buyers as well as people in the, the blogging industry who wrote about kids' music, and all that changes all the time. So it was a little bit more diverse, and it was also um, based uh, heavy on New York. We've tried to make it so the topics that we talk about can be topics that can you can you can learn something from it, no matter what part of the country you're from. Mm. The strata of children's musicians uh, that I've observed is it's really interesting. God, there's that word again. I'm sorry. I'm going to try and not to use the word interesting. We should have a bell whenever any of us, <laughs> whether, whenever either of us use the word interesting, we have to like call the other person and say really. And we'll just like, we'll work on that. Okay. As long as the duck doesn't come down from the ceiling. We... <laughs> no, just ping pong balls. Get, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you get that one. I oh. get that. One. All right. Good. Okay. We're on the same social media page then. Oh, so the strata of children's musicians uh, to me is pretty clearly delineated. There are the, there are groups of folks who have acoustic guitars. They go into small classrooms or, or libraries they sit on the floor or on those little uncomfortable plastic chairs and they sing for 
the two to eight-year-old crowd or two to six-year-old crowd or a lot of the preschools. And that's a really intimate setting. So that's one strata. And then you just kind of start going uh, not up as if there's a difference between up and down, but to maybe larger or, or older crowds until you end up with the Lori Berkners or the Lucky Band, you know, touring China, that sort of thing. So does Kindycom have something you said about sort of the um, universal appeal geographically? Would you say that it has the same appeal in each of the strata of, of performance type? It does. And I think the reason that it does is because many of the um, artists that you spoke of that are the ones who are doing more global touring or more nationally known are ones that are part of the quilt of Kindicom. They've been to Kindicom several times and they've grown partly due to the fact that they've been able to network with other artists and they've been able to make more connections and be able to share their own stories with other musicians. So I think the key for us is you have more independent, smaller um, school uh, community center type performers who really are just putting their foot in the water and not quite sure what else they want to do with their career versus perform for kids and their community trying to figure out their next step. So by kindy, coming to Kindycom, it gives them an opportunity to really talk to these people who've already taken that next step and then some and kind of learn what's the right path for themselves. And as for the more established artists, like you know Lucy Kalantari, who just won the Grammy this year, who's been to Kindycom several times, she'll be here more, to, not only to network, but also to almost become a mentor of sorts and to help share what she's done and learned with a lot of the newer artists who are just now trying to find their own way. So it really becomes a peer-centric gathering. Okay, so let's talk about the itinerary then. Uh, so, uh, and just to just to clarify, uh, one of the reasons that I, I really wanted to get you on, Robert, at, at this time is because registrations open. Kindycom only happens every two years. Correct. And so if it's one of those things that if you want to do it, you probably should jump on it now. I know I've missed the last two cycles because I didn't realize it was a two-year deal. <laughs> and, also, like, and also, the, and the reason we started this off as an annual event, and then we quickly realized that when your base of attendees are all independent performers who are moms and dads trying to do everything they can and basically, you know, selling music out of the back of their car mentality – you know, you, you can't ask them to travel each year to Philadelphia on top of everything else they're doing. So we thought if we make it a biennial event and have it every other year, it gives people the opportunity to plan for it um, looking forward. It's not so much of a constant yearly ta task. It also gives people um, – it, it dampens the burnout mentality because now it's every other year. So people are excited about it, and once it passes – they continue their, their networking social media wise, and then they look forward to the one in two years from that point. So that's kind of the reason why it's biennial and not annual. Yeah. And it makes total sense. It's things are when you fill up a season full of gigs and you're trying to put out a new album. I mean, that, right. those are, those are long-term uh, objectives that and commitments that you have that you fulfill on a daily basis. So and even though, I mean, the, the registration for Kindycom is $75 in advance, I mean, in, in, as an early bird. And that's the same it's been since we started this in 2016. And we don't have any desire to increase that because this isn't a profit 
profit making venture for us. Basically, the money we raise just pays the the bills we have to produce the event. Um, our goal is to create an create an atmosphere of uh, a community where people can network with each other and you know find and learn from each other and also learn from other people. And so we try to keep the cost down really low because our purpose is not about finances. It's not a, we're not a standalone organization. You know, we're, we're a radio station and we're public radio. And our, our hope, you know, with Kids Corner, it's always been about the music. So I think Kindycom has just, is an offshoot of that where we're doing this because we want this industry to thrive because the stronger the kindy music industry is, the more choices Kathy and I have for music to play on the radio. So, oh boy, such so much to talk about yet. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm going to totally. I'm going to dive. We're going to dive deep if you have uh, if you have the inclination later about some of that that you just talked about as far as the the industry because your perspective since 1988 in this is really cool. Let's roll back into Kindycom real quick. Sure. So, first, I should say if you want to get any information on Kindycom and you don't know how Google works, where you can just type in Kindycom and the website pops up. Yeah, that's cool. You could, you could go you could to kindycom.org. You don't even yep, need to put in the enough. www. It's kindy, K-I-N-D-I-E-C-O-M-M.org. Who, yep. who made up the word kindy, by the way? Kindy, uh, I'm going to give, I'm not sure where it originally officially um, generates from, but I'm going to give Stephanie Mayer's um, props on this because Stephanie Mayer was one of the four people who ran Kindy Fest. Uh-huh. And um, her thinking was, you know, this is all everybody who performs for kids, even from Laurie Berkner down, are all independent musicians. Almost all of them, with the rare exception, are not signed to a label, signed to a conglomerate. None of them have a big marketing machine behind them. They're all completely independent artists who happen to be doing kids music. So instead of being an indie artist, they're a kindy artist. And that's where the kids' music comes from. So Kindy basically is a kids' independent artist. Uh-huh. All right. And that's kind of where that's where Stephanie Myers of Myers Consulting made up this word. <laughs> well, I'm gonna have to talk to her. But, no, I'm just trying to figure out who. But to you know what? Though, in all in all fairness, <laughs> the good news is, is that with Kids Corner since 1988, I have been really. It's interesting because Bing! I got. Oh, we said the word interesting. Sorry. It's oh like wait, a word but I, I don't think it counts for me. It only counts uh, for you, right? Oh man. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. (laughs) But what's fascinating for us is that we have made it a point since 1988 to clarify that what we produce on WXPN is kids' radio and kids' programming. And this music, kindy music, is kids' independent music. We We never use the word children. In anything that we do, we do not. We're not a children's entertainer. We're not doing a children's music conference. We're not producing children's radio because kids never call themselves children. They call themselves kids. And if you want to be a peer, you need to speak like a kid. You don't speak like a child. A child is a term. A children is a term that parents use to talk about younger people. Um, it's not what kids use. And if you're trying to relate to children as a parent the best way to refer to it is kids. So I always tell entertainers, I said, the first thing you should always learn to do is wipe the word children from your marketing because it paints you in a different perspective. It makes people think of you a little differently because if you have to say you're a children's music entertainer, all of of a sudden it sounds stuffy. Mm -hmm. But if you're saying you perform for kids, you do this stuff, it sounds cool. It sounds fun. 
And I just think the word kids is the word that is, it's passive. You don't really realize it, but it really has miles of power if it's used properly. So I, I feel like anytime I get a chance to explain the difference between children and kids, I try to jump at it, especially here talking to a lot of you know kids musicians, kid, kindy artists out there who are all marketing themselves. Um, I find that you know you can you can certainly use children at a certain point when you're marketing yourself to a certain organization like a school district or things like that. You want to explain yourself. You know, then you're talking to an adult and you want to say, "Yeah, I do. I do children's music." But I found overwhelmingly kids is the way to go. So okay, so this is uh, it's a very specific point. I don't have hard opinion on on this personally, between saying children and saying kids. I totally hear what you're saying, and I completely agree. As a children's performer, though, we don't market to, it doesn't matter if we're using Facebook or Instagram or anything like that. When we're out there trying to market, we're not marketing to children, because children shouldn't be on social media. Children don't make these buying decisions. We're marketing to parents or venues. And while I completely agree with your perspective as far as the difference between kids and children as in the vernacular... It's also a bit challenging. One of, one of the ways is kind of funny. It was one of the first marketing things I came up with. It's like, yeah, we do kids rock. And they do, what, you do like kid rock covers? And I'm like, eh, no. <laughs> ah, not, but no, we do, we do rock for kids. And that is a different thing than, you know, because I could take the same songs and I can sit in a library and I'm not doing rock for kids with my acoustic guitar. So, so there is, I, but you are, I, but I, you are I, doing, but you are doing music for kids. I am doing music for kids. Yes. But kids also seems to be a different, um, I don't know. Kids, kids can be 13. Kids can be 16. What are you kids doing? You know? So it's, I don't know. It's, that's a, that's a pickle for me. Just in terms, I mean, just in terms of who am I communicating with? If I'm communicating with a group of adults, I want to say, well, I do, I do children's music because other, because if I say I do kids music, is that like kids bop? Is that like Britney Spears? Is that, you know, it's, it's, I think it's a, it's a much broader net that you're throwing then. And I don't think there's anything wrong with a broader net when you're talking about trying to introduce yourself. I think that if you're trying to pitch yourself to a potential vendor or a potential uh, talent buyer or things like that, there's no harm in having a broader net. Let them uncover the fact that, yeah, you're not Brittany, but now that I got a chance to listen to you, you're better than Brittany or something like that. I think that I just have learned over time that um, traditionally when you talk to a talent buyer, you talk to a, um, uh, a community group that's looking, children's music tends to be a certain category within kids music it's hard to explain from my perspective but i've noticed that if it's softer and more educational then it's children's music but if it's cool and it's fun then it's kids music what you do uh, okay. professionally what you do professionally on your cd is a hundred percent kids music it's funny it's quirky it's educational but not has you wouldn't even know about it being educational <laughs> it's you know it's a fun you know the, the project the, the product that you've produced is square kids music. It's right on the ball. Mm. And I would never think of calling Andy uh, and the Cowboy, the whole, the, the whole canon of what you've been doing, children's music, because it just, to me, children's music comes off as library 101 kind of stuff, you know, which is not bad. There's a market for it, but it's definitely a smaller market. Well, and so, and so okay, that's the distinction, maybe that because there is that that group, and and I cast no aspersions. First off, no, I can't, I can't do it, but I call it teach and preach. 
where you're you're trying to teach or you're trying to uh, preach and not in a, and and certainly not in a bad way, but uh, maybe a, a moral or an objective or or the song has a point other than the enjoyment of the song, which is and to, I think that, to transfer uh, something like that. Right, and I think too that the with some exception, and obviously with every rule, there's a certain exception, but with some exception. That subgenre of children's music, which is that teach and preach that you talk about, that more targeted, um, um, soft and sweet and educational, but you know, community-based kind of sound, can grow to a certain degree. And there are many musicians who fill that void and are very pleased and happy to perform with community centers and make that career for them. Traditionally speaking, any artist that bubbles past that point tends to be a kid's music performer. Um, you look at successful artists from regional and even national levels, when you look at Lori Berkner, or you look at the pop-ups, or you look at the Okie Dokie Brothers, or Lucy Kalantari, these are artists that still do kids' music, but they've taken it out of the library, and it's music that you can easily see an adult listening to without any kids in the car, because mm -hmm. it's fun. Right. And that's that's kids' music to me. That's not children's music. So that's why that, that's the differential for me. As far as and to to maybe put my arms around this, I would say from my experience that those performers who are doing more of those children's teach and preach music, they encounter a lot of the same challenges that I encounter when I'm trying to book gigs, get gear, work on my presentation, work on crowd control. I mean, the over, I mean, it's the same, you're, like you're saying, it's a subgenre. So for those people who consider themselves more children's musicians, is there a place at the table at Kindycom for them? Oh, easily. Um, we have, uh, we have noticed over the past Kindycoms that the, it runs the gamut. There are several musicians from around the country who have carved out quite a niche when it comes to regional performances um, in local, you know, regional organizations, schools, libraries, community groups, and they're fine. They're comfortable with that. But they also need to. They're trying to figure out, okay, how do I make this a business? Like, how do I do? How do I? What are some legal questions about royalties and rights? And what do I do about marketing? And they have just one on one questions they want to ask. So. We've, you know, we always, one of the strongest things that we do at Kindycom is offer that 101 dialogue where people can sit and ask the basics that they probably have been trying to answer, but on their own, because they're on, they are on their own. So we try to give people the opportunity to ask those questions and also to get the answers from those who've already done it. So that way they can learn from others. Oh, cool. Okay. So I love that tangent. That was awesome. Let's yeah. dive. Let's dive back into uh, spe the specifics, though, of Kindycom and what's going on. Yep. So registration, it's wow. So it's well, registration's up and running. It's early bird right now, seventy five dollars. And um, when you register, most people who come to Philadelphia, the event Kindycom itself takes place Friday, April third through Saturday, April 4th. Um, Friday evening, people start to arrive to Philadelphia. There's a, um, a welcome reception that we do where people can kind of meet and greet, get to know each other. And then last KindyCom, a few of the Kindy artists got together and decided to produce a um, song share event at the host hotel once we got done our mixer. People went back to the hotel. Whether or not they were staying there didn't matter. And they went to one of the ballrooms that we had uh, rented out 
and we had a small sound system and all these musicians basically is like an open mic they all but they, they're just to themselves so they all got a chance to perform one of their songs in front of all these other kindy artists and get a chance to hear other music and the coolest thing about that was not just being able to share your song with other kindy artists but more importantly when saturday morning came and kindycom began in earnest everybody kind of knew each other by then because they had spent all of Friday night kind of getting to bonding and hanging out. So it really established that network uh, foundation before we started Kindycom Saturday morning. It was already established. So so that's Friday night. Saturday morning, things will start. It starts in the morning at 8.30 in the morning. There's a We have a continental breakfast that was part of the registration. Um, obviously, coffee's flowing throughout the day. And um, we... We have a day worth of conversation and information from about 9 a.m. until about 4 p.m. And then there's a dinner break. And then around 7 p.m. Saturday night is when the Kindycom Industry Showcase begins. And that's where we'll have um, a handful of Kindycom art, uh, Kindy artists performing 15-minute sets to showcase some of their music. And because so many people had requested it, this year, Kindy Kindy Come 2020, we also have um, solo spotlights, and we have another several artists that were selected that are going to each do one song uh, as well during the showcase. So that way, we've been able to almost double the amount of artists that are being performing on that Saturday night, just to get more of a, a tapestry of what the kid, Kindy music community is like. We had about sixty or so Kindy artists from around the world submit to be selected for the industry showcase. So we chose 15 out of those 62 submissions. And those artists are the ones that you can find out more about on our website at kindycom.org. That's already been announced who those artists are and their links and everything are there to learn more about them. And then um, some people leave Saturday, Sunday, they go back home. Other people stick around because on Sunday, Kids Corner does a public concert to and we have tickets and it's an event that we do each time and in the past years we've had some kindy performances who are already in town for kindycom perform for the general public this year we're doing something a little bit different because bill harley who is a amazing um, multi-grammy award-winning storyteller who's been telling stories and songs for kids since the 1980s um is going to be joining us uh sunday and he's going to be, we're celebrating the 30th anniversary of a great CD that he did called I'm Going to Let It Shine, which was Voices of voices and Song from Civil Rights History. And he's going to perform some of those songs with a Kindycom community choir made up of all the kindy artists who are sticking around, um, who are going to be singing on stage with him. And then once that session is done, he'll then do a couple of his, you know, time and tested uh, storytelling sessions that he'll do with the whole audience. So mm -hmm. that'll happen on Sunday morning, and, that, and then usually people fly out Sunday afternoon. So it's a, it's, a, it's a tight weekend of events, but it's definitely a great opportunity for networking. It's definitely a great opportunity for um, making those connections. Each year, kindy artists who have attended Kindycom have met new kindy artists, and without a doubt, every time we've done Kindycom, within about six months' time, we've gotten new releases from these artists as duets they've mm. actually worked together here and then they go back to the different parts of the world and they put together music underneath the duet at name so there's something to be said about putting everybody under one roof and seeing what happens oh yeah 
Okay, so Bill Harley. Who's this Bill Harley you speak of? No, actually, I mean, everybody knows Bill Harley. The fact <laughs> that he'd be there, I mean, he's just a fun guy. So that's, yeah, that's and, really cool. And, and I think the cool thing about Bill Harley is, um, you know, we, we haven't done it yet. The, since we started Kindycom in 2015, we've not um, really aggressively done anything around storytelling. So I figured if you're going to do something around storytelling, let's start with a guy who you know, almost invented it in some ways, modern storytelling. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's Bill Harley. So it'll be fun to have him here and to have him. And he'll be here on KindyCom as well. He won't just be here Sunday. He'll be here throughout the day. So those who are attending KindyCom will have that opportunity to interact with him and talk with him um, beforehand. I'm on the website for KindyCom right now just because I wanted to follow along with the times and, and whatnot. And the itinerary, it, it isn't quite set on on here, but will it be similar to in general what what's happened in the past yes um it by the time this podcast is in the ears of all your listeners it will be up and running the oh that's by this afternoon hopefully <laughs> yes no. yes no. yes exactly <laughs> by the time yes uh, strike that um, or what i meant to say was <laughs> keep coming back to no. the website no, right okay yeah it, 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 it should be it should be up before friday it should be up by um, by this Friday. Yeah, I'm almost done. So um, the main the, the main things with this year's KindyCom is we'll have a morning session where um, I'm working to have um, uh, I don't have his name in front of me. Ooh ooh, I know. It's David Newell. Hi. <laughs> See, I'm good for something. I'm working to have the uh, gentleman who spent decades alongside Fred Rogers playing Mr. McFeely. Oh, is yeah. going to be here and he'll be here just to talk about his life and time with Fred Rogers and the whole experience because of course Fred Rogers is on the front page of a lot of people's thoughts right now with the new movie with Tom Hanks so we felt that that was something that would be important to have as a having coffee and conversation and just sort of waking up and and learning about the whole production of that program for mm-hmm. Mr. Rogers neighborhood um we're going to have breakout sessions throughout the day we're doing a um I'm working on the logistics of working with the people from Australia and Kinderling, Mm -hmm. which is an incredible network of uh, supporting kids' music down in Australia and New Zealand. And some of the top brass of Kinderling will hopefully be coming to America and joining us in person. If not, we'll do something around that with them in Skype. But we're definitely going to be celebrating the kids' music community down under because it's huge. And I think that any national american or north american kindy artist who isn't already pushing their music to australia should be even if they never go to australia they should at least get their music down there because there's a whole bunch of markets down there for not only for sales but also for exposure so we're going to spend some time exploring what's happening down under we're going to spend some time uh, barry lewis Polazar, who is an icon when it comes to kids music who's been performing since the 70s is going to join us for lunch along with um, his one of his best friends and lawyer for decades who has worked with Barry to help license a lot of his music and to do copyright law. So we're going to talk about the legal issues of your music and your product uh, as well and get some information there. So that'll help answer a lot of legal questions people have. Uh, Stephanie Myers, once again, will be back. And Myers Consulting is going to be presenting Kindy 101, which is a wonderful uh, interactive panel conversation that both Stephanie and both the guys from the pop-ups will be on the panel and they'll be helping not only 
answer questions, but also offer 101 information on how to market yourself, how to, uh, from both a marketing perspective and a producer perspective, but also um, answering questions from a performer perspective, because of course, um, um, the pop-ups not only produce their music internally, like many artists do, they do it all in-house, but they also do a lot of um, puppetry and things like that in ways to make, make their show 3D. So they'll be able to answer a lot of questions as well. So that 101 will be happening in the afternoon. We'll have some other, we have a couple of breakout sessions where um, we do a thing called the Kindy Cafe, where we have people who are been identified who have like sort of 15 minutes to pitch their case, whatever it might be. And those things are talking about women in kindy. Uh, Miss Ann, Little Miss Ann from Chicago is going to talk a little bit about the women in kindy movement um, and as for female kindy musicians. They'll be talking about the Children's Music Network. will be pushed over there and explain what's going on with the Children's Music Network and some activities that are happening in the fall of 2020. And then later in the afternoon, as a sort of cap for all of us to gather, uh, we're going to have Joel Hodgson in studio, and he's going to be with us, to, who is the creator of Mystery Science Theater 3000. Mm -hmm. And a lot, a lot of people, um, while Mystery Science Theater 3000 isn't necessarily a kid's program, I think his programming has influenced a lot of the kindy artists because of its um, humor and its cutting edge over the years on Comedy Central as well as independently. So I think there's there's a crossover there as well that people might find interesting to hear his story and his conversation, plus have a chance to meet him and things like that. Last KindyCon, we had Dr. Demento, mm -hmm. who, again, by definition, isn't necessarily a kid's um you know, playing kids' music, but so much of his music, you know, his discovering Weird Al Yankovic and showcasing all this novelty music has really influenced a lot of kids who then grew up to be adults who then also became kidney artists. So we try to find ways to connect um, why a kidney artist is a kidney artist. And having people like Dr. Demento, we've had Bob Durow, who mm -hmm. just recently passed away, and he was a, a jazz musician and also the founder of Schoolhouse Rocks and wrote all the Schoolhouse Rocks in the early 60s. So he was here one year to perform. Um, we also had Bob from Sesame Street came in one year to talk about the roots of Sesame Street and, and his history. So we just find ways to connect with people. So this way it sort of reminds them how why they became a kindy artist. Right. The connection there, the sympathetic soul, does seem to be uh, pretty prevalent. I mean, when you're talking about Mystery Science Theater or Dr. Demento, that humor, whether or not you do parodies like uh, Weird Al or not, that that frequency of fun and whimsy that's um applicable to every to all ages Th that's definitely uh i don't it's in, it's within the same venn diagram i think for yeah. a lot of children's musicians that so that's really cool that's exciting and i think one of the things that's important is that it goes back to what we were talking about earlier regarding the teach and preach category within the kids music category and traditionally speaking successful kids music is, is music that kids can laugh at and enjoy and probably learn something without realizing they're learning something. And at the same time, adults can laugh at and enjoy. And I think the secret to that is that innuendo and that, that double entendre when you play with your lyrics and it makes it so you don't have to dumb a song down in order just to appeal to a kid. And I think that Mystery Science Theater and Dr. Demento have proven that there are ways to have a song, a song be fun that kids will enjoy, but you can also reach the adult here. Because the, the fact of the matter is, is that if you can get the adults to enjoy your music, chances are they'll listen more, which means chances are they're going to spend the money they have to support you down the road. Right.
So okay, so this is the that's the Kindicom thing. It sounds right. like it's a it's totally cool, totally fun, open to anybody who ever steps in front of a crowd of families and kids to try and entertain at any level. It's like all everybody's welcome. Everybody can probably get something out of it if they're in this in this field. Right. And even if you're, I mean, we also encourage, we reach out and we encourage people who are buyers for kid for talent to come. Um, we, you know, we try to get several regional buyers to come from festivals and such. So that way, because it's an opportunity. I mean, how often do you get a chance to have 75, 100, 150 kindy music performers under one roof? It's almost like, you know, it's the, the gods have given you an opportunity to pick and choose deciding who you want to have your next festival. So we always try to reach out to anybody who books kids music festivals or kids music events to see if they can come down and just be here to kind of network and interact. So hopefully we'll have a handful of those as well. You know, traditionally in this genre, a showcase is is that it's actually a buyer showcase. Is right. that is that pretty much the same thing? Can it, so if if you uh, if you're performing in this, would you or are you thinking? You know what? I'm not going to do 2019, but I'm going to do 2021, and I really want to get in that showcase to build up a tour on the East Coast. Is that is this actually one of those buyer showcases? Not necessarily. When it was Kindy Fest, it might have been a little bit more about the buyer aspect. Here for Kindycom. It's a. It's definitely a peer aspect. What we have found is that the people who wind up being selected for the Kindicom Industry Showcase take that as an opportunity to build a East Coast tour because mm-hmm. they know they're going to be in Philadelphia that Saturday night doing this this private gig for Kindicom attendees. So they build around that and start to try to book some gigs in Washington and New York and Brooklyn and other places so they can kind of make it worth their while. Um, so. But the, but the people in attendance for the industry showcase primarily are, are other musicians. But it gives people an opportunity to see you as you are, you know, to see you perform. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think people people have benefited from that because when we first started, we weren't quite sure if there'd be value in performing on stage to a bunch of other musicians. But it seems like they really enjoyed it because what winds up happening at every Kindicom is that by the time Saturday night comes around, so many new friendships have developed because of the shang share at the hotel Friday night and a whole day of hanging out. By the time Saturday night comes around, whoever's performing winds up saying, oh, well, joining me is so-and-so from Boston. Like they just met yesterday and they bring them on stage with them. So it becomes sort of a community-based celebration of kindy artists. Hmm. So there's sort of an organic growth to what the industry showcase was. So it's not necessarily a buyer showcase. It's more just an ability to showcase the music and celebrate the genre. Cool. So what should I bring? If I if I'm planning to come to Kindicom, if I, I'm like sitting there, I'm like I got my my plane tickets, I have my yep. my discounted reservation at the hotel that you guys help lined up, which is available yep. through the Kindicom website. I'm registered. I've got the ticket for the Bill Harley thing. <clears throat> I'm all set to go. What else do I need to bring? Well, there's a couple of things. First of all, um, you would want to bring some media kits, and by that I just mean if you want to bring a handful of CDs along with some one sheets about who you are. What I usually do every year is I have a mail room set up in the lobby of, of where we hold our event, which is at World Cafe Live. I have a, a mail room set up so you can stop by, there's always volunteers there, and leave 
introductory letters or media kits or however you want to put together to various people in the industry that might be there, might not. Some don't come, some do come, but I deliberately go out of my way to build a, a decent list of a handful, five, seven, eight, ten uh, contacts. So that way you can get them in, in the hands of these people. And after Kindycom is over that Monday, um, if for those who for those attendees who weren't there, I mail, I FedEx everything out to them and they get the whole package of music from Kindycom and they get a chance to see it. So it's a way, it's a way to reach um, radio perform, radio programmers, people who might work at like serious things like that. Um, also some bloggers, you know, of that nature. It varies each time because every two years the market changes a little bit. Mm-hmm. But um, so that's one thing. So you want to make sure you have some CDs. Um, I'm working right now on putting together the package where if it all comes together, every Kindycom artist who wants this opportunity is welcome to it. They'll be able to submit a song of their own choice um, to me to be included in a Kindycom 2020 download pack. So that way um, we not only can we offer it to all the Kindycom attendees, it'd be a secure website where you can go online with a passcode and be able to download all these MP3s from all the attendees. It would be sort of like almost a, an online CD, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But the other thing I'm thinking about is on Sunday when we do our public show, we would then print out these cards where everybody in attendance can also get this free download. And it gives everybody, all the all the parents in the, that are in attendance, an opportunity to s- sample all the artists that were in town for Kindycom. Hmm. That's so awesome. it's another, yeah, it's another way of, I mean, and, and I have to, I have a one sheet that's a legalese kind of thing that basically gives us the right from the artist to be able to include their song in this compilation. So I'm just putting that stuff together. So that way, once that's done after the new year, I'll be able to put something out. So everybody who's joining us can say, yeah, you know what? I have a song give me the form. I send you the form. You sign off on it. You send me the MP3 and there you go. It's done. Hmm. So that's something I'm trying to put together. Cause I'm just, Kathy and I are just trying to figure out ways. So, as many ways as possible to help the musician get noticed. Mm-hmm. And I think by getting these songs into the hands of um, people in attendance to the kids corner concert is one way. And the other thing too, is that, you know, we can find other avenues to get that online exclusive Kindycom CD for the sake of a better term out there down the road in 2020. There's other ways we can market that we might, you know, who knows? I mean, we might be able to um, have the artists themselves offered to people as a sampler. So the more the merrier is my thinking. And as far as things to bring, don't bring anxiety. So like if you show up to the song share <laughs> thing, uh, yeah, the, the nobody's going to force thing. you to get on stage to do one no, of the no, things. No. Okay. The way, the way it works is that if you want to join us Friday night at the song share, you're on our website at kindycom.org. There's a tab for song share and you can fill out the form to sign up just like an on, open mic kind of thing. Um, I just broke out in a cold sweat. Yeah. <laughs> because so, of the days of open mic. <laughs> I know, exactly. Oh my God, not again. No. <laughs> but the advantage here is that you're you're amongst peers and friends in a casual setting. So you, there's a, you know, we'll, we'll have a small sound system and a, and a mic and a DI and as well as a, an eighth inch jack. For most people, if they're not performing live, they might pr- want to sing to their track, mm-hmm. um, which is encouraged because that's easy to do. So, um, you just fill out what you want to do on the, in the form and let us know. And then um, 
the people who are coordinating that whole thing will put it together. And um, it's a simple, casual song share. So it really just depends on what you want to bring. If you, if you want to cart a guitar from wherever you're coming, that's fine or not, you know, Mm -hmm. you want to make it as easy for you to travel as possible. So it really just depends on how far you're traveling and how challenging it is to bring an instrument with you. Some people have guitars that will bring them and more than happy to say, here, use my guitar. You know, so there's has happened in the past with the song share. Mm -hmm. Um, and a lot of people, like I said, will will have an instrumental version of their song on their iPhone and just, you know, eighth inch plug it in and, and perform to that. So it's just a way to sample your music in another peer environment. And it's a great way for all the kindy attendees to get to know each other pre kindycom Saturday. Mm. And as an alternative, I just thought of this, you could, instead of song share, you could have um, like some sort of weird uh, karaoke roulette where you have to sing somebody else's song via karaoke <laughs> but you but the, well, the deal is you've never heard it before so you just gonna say <laughs> <laughs> well there's there, there is a cash bar in the room so depending <laughs> on how late the night goes <laughs> yeah. oh good because that'll help with that open mic problem that now, I, I have yeah. you know what the cool thing is um you did mention karaoke and the funny thing is every kindycom after the industry showcase saturday night for those people who stay over sunday for the, the public show <laughs> with with no help of my mine or Kathy's, they all seem to gather with each other when this event is over Saturday night and they've headed to various bars in Philadelphia to do, to do karaoke. So this year I'm working to have karaoke here. So oh. as soon as we get done the industry showcase, cause it'll be, it'll be a cash bar. We'll be in a, a venue that has an open bar throughout the night on open, open, but like mm-hmm. has a cash bar running throughout the night and it's all adults. It's, you know, so for those who are drinking, there's beer flowing, people playing music. So it's a much more, it's not your typical kids show by any means. <laughs> but, um, but the cool thing is, is that by, you know, 10, 30, 11 o'clock when the, the industry showcase ends, we're hoping to just flip the switch and go right into karaoke karaoke mode till like 1 a.m. and let people just sing regular rock and roll songs and have fun with each other and just kind of, you know, bond over the thing. So I'm working on that as well for, for a cap on Saturday night versus having people leave here and go hunt for karaoke in the city of Philadelphia. We might as well bring it to them. Right. Do you have any great um, restaurant suggestions for that uh, Saturday night dinner? Any We do. We actually uh, put together a whole list, so they'll be available all day Saturday um, up to the minute as to which ones are open and available. So that way, at all walking distance, naturally, we try to make it so it's real easy so you're not spending half your time traveling. It's easy to get to and from. The hotel is located just about four blocks away from the venue that KindyCom takes place, which is World Cafe Live. The venue is actually... Um, a building that houses on one half of the building World Cafe Live, which is the music venue, and then on the other half of the building WXPN, two separate oh. businesses and one building. So we, so our studios are in this building that we're also the venues in. It's one big building, so it'll make it easier too. Because what'll wind up happening is, um, in the past, we've had some kindy artists that do a lot of YouTubing, mm-hmm. and they will actually utilize our studio to record some YouTube sessions with some kindy performers that are from far and wide. So that way they can get more content for the YouTube channel. So there's definitely some opportunity to find a little nook and cranny and record some things for people who do podcasts like yourself or who do video things. We can find places that you can use if you wanted to sit down, for instance, like if Lori Berkner was here or Lucy Kalantari is here and you want to do a quick interview with her, instead of doing it by phone, you could do it in a studio and actually, you know, get quality audio and take it home and podcast it there. So Robert, now that we've, I, th- I think we've covered the, 
the great expanse of what is KindyCom. I mean, it's exciting. Yeah, it's sure. a huge event, and it's this thing. How many people do you think are going to show up? Um, judging by the past few years, I would say between 125 to 170, somewhere in that range. Wow, that's fantastic. And I looked at the showcase. You've got people coming from Spain. I think Twinkle Time coming from um, Los Angeles. Uh, you've yep. got people we, from and, everywhere. Yeah, we this year was the first year that um, – when we had submissions for our industry showcase, we had submissions from Spain, from um, New Zealand, Australia, uh, France. We had a submission from uh, many submissions from Canada. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think that that sort of emphasizes the importance of what Kindycom has become because it showcases, first of all, there's, this is the only opportunity people really seem to get to network with each other on a, on a global scale. And the Kindycom Facebook group, which is sort of the social address for Kindycom when we're not doing our event every other year, it's interesting to watch from, from an admin perspective because right now I'm adding, you know, because whenever somebody wants to join, it, it, a request comes to me and I have to approve it. I would say at least one a day, if not more, of kindy performers from Germany. Germany mm -hmm. has just, it's amazing the amount of German, the Germany-based kindy artists that have just started to join Kindycom over the past couple of weeks. And I'm sure it's all peer. One joined and told another one, that kind of thing. So all of a sudden, and it happened last year, it was Australia. This year, it seems to be Germany. So I find it exciting because it just, you know, we're all doing the same thing. We're just doing it in different languages. Right. I was talking to some folks over in England, and they were bemoaning the fact that they really don't have an organization or an organized child, uh, kids' music network over right. there. And they're like, oh, you know, compared to what you folks are doing in the States, that's you, you've really got it going on. And I, I, I feel from the on this side of the guitar, the performer side of the guitar, that it's it's been you and Kathy O'Connell pulling together the Kindycom. That's that continues to be part of the core. Of, yeah. of that sort of thing. One thing um, that I think I want to move into next as a conversation piece is about that, that it feels, and this is very, there's, there was a few things that happened this year in the, in the, in the kids music genre. See, I'm really going to try and not do the children's thing. So thank you. Brother. <laughs> there were a few things that happened that seemed to sort of shift the paradigm. There's some stuff that's going on in the community that were sort of harbingers of doom on one way, but I never think of it that way. I think of it as the evolution of uh, of an engaging genre. One thing was uh, Sirius XM was going to bump Kids Place Live into basically non-existence, into a place right. where nobody could hear it. And there was this huge 24-hour groundswell, and next thing you know, nope, they changed their mind. Kids Place Live ends up staying on Channel 78, which, you know, if you don't, if you can't, subscribe to Sirius XM. That's totally cool, but just know that out there, there's this radio station that does pretty much kindy music 24-7 with some great hosts. And it's really cool. I mm -hmm. think I think it's really cool. And a great supporter of the of the industry. And then you saw that the Fids and Camley Awards decided to to hang it up. You know, Stephen Shepard and those folks. And obviously Kathy, I don't know, were you a voting member of that as well? Uh Kathy was. Kathy was. I know that there was a it was a tight cadre of influencers and I, I am on my previous podcasts i talked about the influencers and in that podcast i actually interviewed jeffrey cohen mr jeff 2000 who just recently said yeah i'm gonna hang up the spurs i'm going to 
back off by the end of 2020, not doing children's reviews of CDs anymore, which he's done for years and years and has done hundreds and hundreds of reviews of, of children's music. And he's another important influencer. I'm just gassing off about all these things right now, but yeah. it's, it's coming to. Um, and so, Robert, uh, from somebody who does, now I do this podcast and this is peer to peer. So it's for other children's musicians or other makers of kids music. Man, I'm going to work on that. It's so interesting. <laughs> ah, ah! Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm overwhelmed with, with tennis balls falling from the sky. <laughs> um, so what's the deal, Robert? What's, what do you think is happening in the genre as a first part? And then if you don't follow up, I will follow up. Well, where is it going and what does it mean? All right. Well, this is my, you know, obviously I'm not a scientist, so I can't study this I on a scientific know. level. Okay. Yes, yeah, I, I do. I have a doctorate, but it's only in love. Anyway. Um, but I think that generally speaking, in regards to kindy music and regards to those people who are the movers and shakers, you're interested until you're not interested. So generally speaking, what has happened is the people who are the bloggers or the people who are um, reviewing or you know doing passions projects when it came to celebrating kiddie music probably got into that because they had kids and they found this music interesting and unique and needed to give it a light. And as time goes by, those kids age out and then it becomes more work and less passion. And I think that that tends to be what happens with uh, 2.0 coverage of kindy artists because you have people who are not doing it for the money, but they're doing it because it's something that they got into because their kids and their family were into it or they, there, was a, there was a peer love of the music. But then once the kids age out, you tend to sort of say, okay, now I'm back to doing this by myself and you lose a little bit of interest. I think if you're a business then you're looking at it from a financial standpoint, like serious, where you need to find, you have to cut corners somewhere. So you, you offer some ideas and a squeaky wheel pops up and you're like, all right, forget that idea. Let's try another one. And I'm sure that's what was happening. They were just throwing everything on the wall and whatever stuck to the wall or made noise, they kept and whatever nobody complained about, they sort of said, okay, that's what we cut. So I'm sure that's what was going on with Sirius because it's a business. Right. There, right. there was, there was nothing personal about their decision. It was just like, okay, these are the channels that are sort of B level. They're not Howard Stern. So let's throw them all up and see which ones, if anybody bitches and moans and fine, we'll, we'll, we'll bring it back. We'll try another one. So mm -hmm. I'm sure that's really what that was. But I think when people decide to, um, whether it's to, you know, no longer review music or no longer write about music or the industry or maybe no longer do an awards uh, project. Part of it has to do with the fact that the passion that they had initially to enter that coverage is no longer there because the people that inspired them to get involved have aged out and now they're moved on to another project. So I don't think it's a personal thing. I don't think it's I don't think it tells you about the dearth of the market or the gloom of uh, you know what's happening in the industry. It's really more you know, this particular people who are doing this thing don't do it anymore because they're not interesting. That's all. It's, just, it's not like it's doing that. Nobody was ever making tons of money on kidney music. That's just, <laughs> no matter how you cut it. So it's not that anybody woke up and said, oh, my God, I don't can't afford my Rolls Royce. What do I do? You know, I think they just thought, OK, let me try something else. So I never get too freaked out when somebody decides to stop. I get frustrated because, of course, it means 
that's one less outlet for the artist. And that's, I'm, I honestly and sincerely do what I do for the kindy music. I don't mm-hmm. do it. You know, I'm not making any money off these artists. I'm, you know, I get a salary here at WXPN. So whether I play the artist doesn't affect that money. So it's not, it's not about that. It's about, I really want this, this genre of music to, um, both Kath and I believe in this genre of music and we want it to succeed. And we want to showcase that you can be fun, quality music that all ages, young and old, can enjoy. And we want people to, we want it to grow. So I think that's why Kindycom and Kids Corner have a very strong shelf life because that's our goal. It's not, we're, we're never, no, there's nobody aging out because our audience is constantly the same audience. They, you know, they might age, but then new kids come on board. So we're always going to have a, dem- a demographic to cater to. And that's kind of keeps us interested. All right. So let's dig deeper into this. Since you folks have been doing this since 88, what have you seen come and go? I mean, so the, the Kindy Fest came and went and you're like, oh, we can replace that or, or we need to replace that. Then, and that's, that's the peer-to-peer. That's, that's from music professionals to music professionals who are making the music. Right. When, when you look at, say, the Fids and Camley, um, the awards thing there, was there something before that? What do you see something coming down the pike? Like, is there anything that you hear on the, you know that's coming down? Um, I I haven't heard, but I wouldn't be surprised if a new way to recognize kids' music develops, simply because the, I mean, I don't think these two go together. But the reality is, is that fifteen years ago, any quality kindy artist could never even get noticed by the Grammy organization. Um, it was it was an anomaly when a kindy artist got nominated because the majority of kids, majority of children's music category in the Grammy were Elmo, Sesame Street, and Disney. That was pretty much all that constantly kept showing up in the, in the, in the Grammy nominations for a children's artist. And then slowly, kindy artists became you know, an option. And now this past year, all the nominees fell into the independent kids music category. Um, And obviously the past few years, a kindy artist has won the recognition as the best children's album from the Grammy organization. And I think by, by having that organic growth of recognition by the Grammys, you have to, um, wonder how vital it is to have other people doing recognition awards for the organization. I think part of the need to have uh, independent organizations doing awards for the kids' music was because nobody else is paying any attention to us. Now people are starting to pay attention to the industry. And I think that that changes the landscape a little bit. I don't think that means that somebody can't launch an independent awards project. I just don't think it's as necessary as it once was 15 years ago, you know, when, mm-hmm. when things were required. So I think that, you know, the landscape is changing a little bit, but probably for the better. My biggest concern is I want to be able to make sure that as many parents learn about kindy music as possible, because it's up to the parents to um, get to know that this kindy industry exists, this kindy genre exists 
because they're the ones that are going to buy the music. They're the ones that are going to turn the music on in their car. They're going to, you know, they're the ones that dictate what their kids will hear. Mm -hmm. So it's getting it into the ears of the parents somehow is important. And I think the, the peer to peer industry award process is cute and, you know, has some merit, but most parents are, had no idea about, you know, the awards project. That wasn't, it wasn't meant for them. It was meant for a peer to peer concept. So I think the key for me is the void right now is how do we get to the ears of parents? How do we let parents know that there is this genre of music that's quality and fun? And how do we get that news out? And reaching the Grammys has been a definite asset because it's made people who are ignorant to uh, the kindy community completely go, oh, wow, I never knew there was this artist. And who, who's Justin Roberts? Like they had no idea any of these things existed. So other ways, that's why Sirius, I think, is more important than anything right now. And I'm glad that the wheel was squeaky and that they reconsidered because that has a lot of merit when it comes to reaching all those cars and reaching all those, you know, those soccer moms and dads and letting them have an opportunity to see that there's quality music and it's not all kids bop. Mm-hmm. Right. They have a whole station dedicated to kids pop if they're into that and if they switch over then the disney channel and then they have the you know the kids place live channel so that's and i think and i think podcasts are definitely another avenue i think that um what you do and what other podcasters do when it comes to showcasing the genre um from different perspectives i mean obviously you have a peer-to-peer and i think other people you know mindy does production podcasts with the pop-ups and other people do other kinds of podcasts but podcasts are definitely the wave of the future when it comes to how do you get into the ears of parents and in, into the ears of kids. Um, and we're going to be talking about that at Kindicom as well. Uh, Mindy's actually going to be joining us. Mindy um, from Sirius will be here uh, to talk a little bit about the, the growth of podcasting. Um, so there's definite, there's definite ways that we can explore that might benefit us more than whether or not we have internal award recognition. I hear you completely. I don't think that any parent ever paid attention to the Fids and Camley. I think that it was one of those nice marketing things that as a performer, if you made the top 10 or the top 20 or whatever it was, then it's like, oh, you can use that text on your website or in your, you know, in your PR kit. It was almost like the, um, the, the, the 2.0 version of the Parents' Choice Award. If you're shopping yourself around, it's great to have a little bit of hardware and say, "Oh, I got this nomination, I got this award, I got this recognition." So it it helped them. It helped the musician more than it helped the the buyer. Yes, and as an and in the independent um, genre, unless you have a publicist or or representation, I mean, which is a totally different subject, you're you're always kind of scrambling to find a yeah. way to get recognition because, you know, your Facebook posts are going to maybe the parents but not the kids. The only chance you get to really interface is when you're actually doing a gig and building those one-on-one relationships, unless you can find a way to get some marketing write-up, get an article here and there, win an award, have some reason to celebrate your music other than, hey, you know, here's my $20 in Facebook ads to people who don't listen to your music because it's just kind of shotgunning it out there. And I think that is one of the reasons why I really want to make this Kindycom 2020 digital download project happen. Because if I can figure out all the logistics to make it happen, not only would it help in a peer-to-peer networking with other Kindy attendees, but I think it can be used in a public way to really help showcase the Kindy market 
you know, on a consistent basis, you know, it's, it's an opportunity to get something completely free for the sole purpose of being able to learn about all these new artists. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so that's kind of where I, I there's something there. I just haven't figured out. I haven't put it all together yet because I'm still brainstorming on it, but I think that I could, I could easily see the Kindycom digital download 2020 becoming an annual event. So that way it does, it's every year we do one, even on the years we don't have Kindycom, um, we have an annual download, which is a secure uh, drive that you have to have a password to, and we find ways to set it up so people can download the music and it gets the songs out there. So yeah, the artist might not get any royalty from that song, but now all of a sudden they're getting ears that they would have never had. And who knows, the, the parents might enjoy it and actually go to the website and download the rest of the album. So there's, there's a lot of potential for marketing with that. Robert, I can't. Uh, I can't thank you enough. First off, for for explaining the Kindicom thing, for showing, for sharing your perspective. Did it make sense? That's the key. Did it make sense to you? <laughs> well, it made sense to me because, uh, but because it's done... an organic thing, I'm always explaining it to myself to make sure it makes sense to me. So I hope as long as it made sense to you, I'm okay. <laughs> well, like the three, the big takeaways are Kindicom. It's for the performers. It doesn't matter yes. what level you're at or who your audience is. It doesn't matter if you think of yourself as a children's performer or a kids performer or just a wacky guy out there, you know, doing your fun thing that that it turns out, you know, Doctor Demento type stuff would enjoy. Yeah, you should come to it if you can. Don't need to worry. Don't bring any anxiety. Bring some CDs. Nope. Bring a couple one sheeters. Even nothing more. If you nothing else, bring business cards. So bring you can business say, cards. Here's, here's my address. Here's my URL. Things right. like that. Uh, show up with uh, open ears and a notepad and yeah. prepare to make some friends and listen to some music and make some connections. And we go out of our way to make sure people know that, you know, we want people to interact. So, um, you know, don't feel that you need to sit back and absorb unless that's your nature. You know, if you have things to say or want to ask questions and, you know, be part of the community because it really is a two-way street for us for Kindycom. The other big takeaway is that the entire Kindy uh, music industry is burning down. Everybody's quitting. There's no future for it. <laughs> Basically, it's all just going to be auto, you know, programmed. There's going to be some AI children's music and Barney's going to storm Cleveland again. And, I, and uh, that means that you will, Andy will be the CEO. Oh, you'll be in charge. Everything else right. is burning down. You're it. <laughs> to heck with serious. We have Andy. <laughs> the last podcast standing. That... <laughs> That's the title of it. <laughs> You're going to be at Kindycom, Robert, so we'll get a chance to shake hands uh, and, and meet face-to-face, hopefully. Yes, totally. Sweet. I look forward to that. I really do. I really do look forward to it. I've been thinking about going to Kindycom for... A while now, and I'm going to do it. So come to Kindycom, and then you can see me, and, and we can meet, and then you can buy me that cup of coffee that we've been talking about every episode that you still haven't bought me. Oh, I'll give you um, a hint. I don't have business cards. I have stickers. I find it to be a really cool thing. So, uh, and they're round. They're round Cowboy Andy stickers, and they've got my website on there. Because what else do you need? Go to the website. You find everything. What am I talking about? I'm not even talking about the episode that we just listened to. Why? I think it speaks for itself. Thanks again, Robert, for coming on and giving us the lowdown on Kindycom. Thank you for your deep dive into the future of children's kids' music and everything else. It was really fun. I liked that one. All right. So until next time, you know what to do. Like the podcast, share the podcast, eat the podcast. You ate the podcast? <laughs> uh, 
And uh, we'll be dropping another one. Ooh, yeah, the next ones. I think we're going to get into a whole series of really interesting ones with some high profilers in the kids music genre. Um, there'll be a test on this later. So make sure that you, uh, you study hard, listen to the podcast. I think I'm going to have to ask some multiple choice questions like who came up with the name Kindy for Kindycom? Was it uh, Marlon Brando? Was it Stephen Colbert? Was it Stephanie Myers? Or was it the pop-ups? Okay, so you'll have to answer that uh, in person when wait. Oh, here it comes. <laughs> Finally! Oh my gosh, this was a long one. Thanks for sticking in there. See you later. Bye! and cuddles and we all like playing games